In Viking times, a thing was a gathering, a place where leaders and warriors could meet and talk. In the 21st century, our thing is a virtual place, where history academics and enthusiasts from around the world can come together to share knowledge. We're your hosts, Miranda Schmiederer and Lucas Norton. So hold on to your helmets for this episode of that Jorvik Viking Thing podcast. Something quite significant has happened uh, very recently. On Saturday, we officially have a new king. Yeah. And we got a new bank holiday for it as we well. We did. How exciting. Thank you, Your Majesty. <laughs> um, so this is probably a good time to talk about like Viking kings, right? Yes. Now, I think we kind of have to limit the scope somewhat because as we've just learned with like the Sigrid episode, there are little tiny insignificant kings everywhere. Um, so how about we just talk about the Viking kings of Jorvik? Yes. Does that sound all right? I think I can just about manage that. It is a big list, though, and it's rather confusing. <laughs> I mean, I think that kind of sums up the Viking Age as a whole, really. You yes. know, a list of confusing things with dates that are kind of questionable. Very much so. So um, when people come to Jorvik Viking Center, they'll notice that we're kind of talking about just ordinary people, aren't we? Yeah. We're all about social history. We what don't we... really touch on like royalty and, and the monarchy and stuff very much, do we? Not really. When people do ask, we kind of sidestep the question a little <laughs> because we don't know where to begin, to be honest, with this list of names and dates. But I suppose today we'll, we'll have to address that as it's a royal weekend after Absolutely. all. Absolutely, yeah. Now, when we think about kings and queens, I mean, recently they've got rather long reigns, haven't they? They have, yeah. I mean, like Elizabeth ruled for a thousand years. Uh, almost, <laughs> yeah. Was it? A, it was like seventy-five, I think, wasn't it? A, a bit less than so. I think. I think it was just over seventy. Right. Okay. So, if you go back to the nineteenth century, we've got Queen Victoria. Yeah. It was, I think, sixty-three. Three Something years. like that, yeah. Women live very long, don't they? do, they? because yeah. Elizabeth I, her reign was fairly long as well, you know? And if you go back to the early medieval period, to the Viking Age, um, it's they're not reigning for 70 years. Not quite uh, that same continuity. Not, they're not yeah. even living that long, let alone sitting <laughs> on the throne for that long. Um, we've got a huge succession of names in a very short time period. They often overlap as well. Which <laughs> Just make is it weird. even easier on us. So we're like, are these brothers who are sharing the chair? Are they rivals who going back and forth? Yeah, yeah. It, it's basically it's an absolute mess. But let's try and get our heads around it just a little bit. So, I mean, the date that we usually say is the start of the Viking Age in York and Jorvik is eight sixty six. Is that when we get our first king? Um, not Viking King, no. Um, so the great heathen army, they seem to be moving around the country quite a bit, I suppose. They're not quite sure what they're going to do yet, yeah. I guess. Maybe they're going, ooh, if I hold out on this throne, I could be King of Wessex instead, maybe, or something. I don't know. But when they arrive, there's actually, it seems to be a state of civil war in the north of England. There's Osbert, who was the King of Anglian York. And Osbert apparently has got booted off the throne deposed in favour of Ayla, or Ella. And I think he pops up in an episode he last did. year. He did. He was in our Ragnar episode. He is responsible for killing Ragnar as much as he did not want to do that. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so Ella, he uh, is, is supposedly King of York at the time. According to legend, the sons of Ragnar, of course, capture the city and they blood-eagle him, rip his lungs out of his back. 
It's not mentioned in any contemporary sources, though. That's a much, much later description. Even the sons of Ragnar don't appear in the Chronicle, for instance. So it looks like a battle was fought outside of York, and both Osberts and Ayla, who put aside their differences, seem to die in this battle. Right, okay. Then we get puppet kings installed, who are Anglians, presumably whilst the rest of the Viking army is raiding down yeah. south. Uh, they face rebellions. No one's very happy with what's going on. The last of these, whose name is hard to pronounce, I'm <laughs> terrible at my Northumbrian Old English, it's something like Richsiger. He um, tries to re-establish native control, but then the Viking army returns in, I think, 875, and he either died fighting the Vikings or died of a broken heart when he saw the Vikings settle his kingdom, oh, no. according to one source. That's depressing. Let's just say it's the battle one. Yes, okay. So from this point onwards, there's no more native Anglian kings ruling over the area. We've got Viking kings from this point. Oh, right, okay. So one possible king of Jorvik, and possible is going to come up a lot now <laughs> from this point <laughs> onwards, is Halfdan, who is possibly a son of Ragnar, if Ragnar is real. Uh, I think we discussed that. <laughs> we did. You have to go once. back and listen to the Truth of Ragnar episode. So Halfdan, whether or not he's a son of Ragnar, he did exist. There are coins with his name on them that are minted in the south of England when he is, you know, roaming around there doing what Vikings do. He's referred to in documents as King of the Danes in England, which probably includes Jorvik. Right, um, okay. But he's never outright referred to as King of Jorvik. King Jorvik. of Jorvik, right. So that's like 875 to 77. Then there's a bit of a gap in the record. <laughs> There probably and was a king, but I guess probably, we just don't know anything yeah. about them. I don't think a republic was established no. for six years at that point. Uh, they've got one that I think is very interesting, Guthred. Uh, he appeared in the Last Kingdom TV series. Oh, right, okay. As well as the book series it's based upon. And he's a very quirky one. He apparently reigns from 883 to 895. And according to the Life of St. Cuthbert, written in the 11th century... The abbot of Carlisle had a vision of Saint Cuthbert, so one of the most important English saints. He told him, Seek out Guthrid, he is the slave of Danish origin, and proclaim him your king. So they did. He Ooh. found this slave called Guthrid, who was Danish, and said, You, your king. I'm sure Guthrid did not want to question that. That's, yeah. you know what? Sure. So naturally, Guthrid, I suppose, was quite chuffed that St. Yep. Cuthbert had chosen him. So he becomes Christian. And apparently, according to legend, when a Scottish army attacks Lindisfarne, which happens more often than you'd think, the Vikings get all the bad <laughs> press, but the Scots did it too. Guthrid prayed to St. Cuthbert for help, which caused the earth to open up and swallow the Scots. <laughs> Um, some archaeologists will be really happy to find them yeah. at some point in the future. There's a lot of digs going on at Lindisfarne. You never know. Maybe they'll find all these like Scottish bodies going, no, <laughs> in a big chasm. And um, supposedly he's buried at York Minster as well, like, right. like a good Catholic king would be. Nice. Now it gets quite messy. Um, it's not. It's not been super clear cut up until this point, and it somehow gets messier. Yes, I'm trying my best. Um, <laughs> so the next few... We think they existed because we've got coins that have their names on them. Okay. You so, wouldn't just make a coin to a made-up person, you know? I hope not. Um, we've got kings like Seafrid and Canutes, whose reigns overlap 
They've got coins with their names on them. They don't appear anywhere else in the written record. Okay, so Canute must not be that Canute. Not that Canute, We'll get no. to that Canute. Uh, Canute is like the John Smith of its age, <laughs> I suppose, in terms of names. One quirky one, though. Harder Canutes. Not that Harder Canutes, though. <laughs> from our Emma of Normandy episode. This Harder Canute was only just rediscovered very recently. We lost an entire king. How does one lose an entire king? Well, I mean, I guess there's there's a king between, you know, 877 and 883 that we just said we didn't yeah. know anything about. So how did they rediscover this Hartha Canute? So the Silverdale Horde, which is currently on display at the Yordic Viking Centre, has 27 coins in it. One of these pennies, which is minted in the north of England, has a name on it, Hartha Canutes minted around 895 to 905, so turn of the 10th century. We don't know who he is. <laughs> Who's this? We've, we've discovered a lost king. So it shows how coins can be really useful in filling in gaps in the historical record. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, who knows how many more have been lost over the years. <laughs> uh, we've got a weird interlude where a guy named Ethelwald becomes king. Okay. Now that is not a Viking name. No, it is not. Ethelwald is West Saxon, so not even Northumbrian. Okay. He's the nephew of Alfred the Great. Right. Now, at least he's Saxon, you know. Yeah, we don't have the um, typical succession of you know father to son to son to son in this period. It just seems like one guy taking over from another guy by force, really. Yeah. So Ethelwald's dad was king of Wessex, but when he died and the Vikings were attacking, the people of Wessex went, hmm. Child King or wise, clever adult Alfred? <laughs> and they chose Alfred. Okay. When sense. Alfred died, Alfred's son becomes king because Edward, I guess, was raised to be king and had all the support. So Ethelwald is a bit miffed and for some reason comes up north and the Vikings accept him as king. But they've also got some other kings according to these three other coin kings we've got. It's an absolute mess, but don't worry. Only the last two years, apparently, he died in battle. Right, okay. So let's forget that quirky West Saxon episode. <laughs> Moving on. We've got a few who are mentioned in the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle. Uh, these, of course, anglicised versions of Viking names. Something like Eowils, Halfdan, and Ingwar. But not the, not the previously mentioned Halfdan? No. I, I don't think so. I think he dies in Ireland, maybe? Like 30 years earlier? Right, okay. I cannot give any definitive answers about any of these people. They may even be fictional, some of these people, to be honest. <laughs> these guys only appear in the Chronicle, and there are three kings who invade south and die at the Battle of uh, Tetanhal. Okay. Moving on. That's all we know about them. <laughs> Um, it's, it gets a bit better from this point because we have these things called documents Ooh. which start describing people. Innovative. This starts a period in the 10th century where basically control of Jorvik is contested between two main dynasties. We've got the West Saxons, mm -hmm. who are the dynasty of Alfred the Great. Right. And we've got a kind of an, an Irish Viking group, the Hiberno Norse kings of Dublin and Waterford. Okay. So it kind of goes back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. <laughs> And eventually, of course, the West Saxons come out on top and this thing called England comes into being. So the first of these Hiberno-Norse kings, Ragnall. So he was king of quite a few places. He was king of the Isle of Man, various parts of Ireland, including Waterford, which was founded by the Vikings. Right. And I went to Waterford a few years ago and they quite like him around there. I'm uh, sure they do, yeah. Remember that time when, you know, the Irish conquered England? That was great, wasn't it? <laughs> um... Irish annals refer to him as King of the Fair Foreigners and the Dark Foreigners. 
Okay. Quite the title indeed. It might be like King of Blondes and Brunettes. <laughs> it's it's two terms that the Irish use for two different groups of Vikings. Could be Norwegians and Danes, maybe. And uh, yeah, he conquers York and becomes King of Jorvik for about five years. Okay. We've got another member of that dynasty named Sigtrygg. Uh, he appears in The Last Kingdom as well. I think he marries Uhtred of Bebenberg's daughter. Stiora, I want to say. I remember the books that I read years ago. Um, so he is king of Dublin um, before being king of York. So Dublin and York are really closely interconnected in terms of the royal dynasties in this yeah. period. Um, he later marries the sister of King Athelstan of the West Saxons as well and becomes Christian. He has a Gaelic nickname, which I'm not going to try and pronounce <laughs> because I did not learn Gaelic at school. Um, the nickname means the squinty. Oh. So... They do... We've talked about it before. They do like to describe people based on their appearance. Yeah. I think, if I remember, in The Last Kingdom, I think he loses an eye. So... Right. It's a vision thing there. It might just be that he needed glasses in an age where there were no glasses. Yeah. So they're handed him runic letters and he's kind of holding it, you know, a meter away from his face going, there we go, now I can read it. Then we have got another one of this dynasty, Guthrif. Um, it's worth mentioning as well that um, this dynasty is supposedly descended from Ivar the Boneless as well. Right, okay. A possible son of Ragnar. Um, if he existed. If he existed, yes. <laughs> um, once again, Guthrif was also uh, king of Dublin for a period as well. Guthrif is kicked out, though, by Athelstan. Okay. So Athelstan is the first king of all of England. He's Ooh. part of that West Saxon dynasty. Uh, he's the grandson of King Alfred the Great. Athelstan actually pops up at Jorvik Viking Centre now and then because where we make coins for you, compares two pounds to strike a coin, it's his name on the coin. Right, okay. So Athelstan is pretty powerful. He gets submission from all the various kind of, you know, sub-kings of the little kingdoms around the country. His coins quite boldly say, King of all Britain. I think the Scots and the Welsh would have something to say about that. Sometimes I think they pay him tribute and nod and go, yeah, whatever you say, Athelstan. <laughs> mm, now get sure. out. Sure, mm. He has no actual direct authority over Wales or Scotland, though. I think I'm sure I've heard he invaded Scotland, besieges King Constantine of Scots, and then neither has a battle, and Athelstan leaves. And he's like, oh, he didn't find me, therefore I won. And then he's <laughs> like, but you ran away, therefore I won. And they go, whatever, <laughs> we don't really care. So Athelstan is a very powerful guy, rules over the entirety of England. There is a mention of him burning down a Viking fort at Jorvik to leave disloyalty no place of refuge. Ooh, that sounds quite ominous. It does, doesn't it? So, hooray, England England now exists. Except now it falls apart immediately <laughs> after his death. He dies in 939, and that Hiberno-Norse dynasty comes back. Olaf Guthrifsson. So I guess that's the son of that Guthrif I just mentioned before. The previous one, yeah, yeah, a few kings ago. That seems logical. Um, So he was king of Dublin as well as king of Jorvik. He's pretty good. He adds a lot of the Midlands to this kind of Dublin-Jorvik kingdom through conquest. He earlier fought a battle against Athelstan, the Battle of Brunanburh, which is a very, very, very big, very important battle in 937, which almost no one's heard of. (laughs) Hugely important massive alliance of everyone against Athelstan, but Athelstan won. 
it's in his reign as well, Olaf Guthrifsson, that the coin with that raven is, is minted as well. That's a very popular kind of little symbol in the reenactment community, isn't it? Yeah, it's all over like shields and banners yeah. and things like that. That's where we get that symbol from. Uh, we've then got Olaf Citrixen from this dynasty as well. Um, his Gaelic nickname means shoe. Oh. I don't know what that means. I mean, does he... I was going to say, does he wear... Everyone wears shoes. Yeah. Does he, he, have, really does he only wear one shoe? Is, maybe, it, is it not a pair? Maybe, does he wear like... Maybe he was like... You know how there are those people that are really into shoes and like have like lots of them? Maybe yeah. he was like that. Did he have one leg? Is he, did he own the one sock that we have at Jorvik maybe? Maybe. Yeah. Um, there may be a joke there that I'm just not understanding <laughs> that nickname. Um, and then we also have... A co-king from the same dynasty, Ragnar Guthrifsson. So is that the brother of the Olaf with the raven coin? Maybe. Maybe. We get mentions that both of these uh, kings convert to Christianity as well. Uh, Ragnar, though, is expelled from the city. One of Athelstan's relatives goes, Hooray! I'm king of everything again! England's back! That's King Edmund. So he captures Jorvik in 944, and then he's murdered two years later. Uh, unrelated to Jorvik, is murdered in Gloucestershire. You know what they are like down there. <laughs> uh, then we have Eric Bloodaxe. Ooh, okay. So Heard of him. He kind of comes out of nowhere. He's right. not part of the West Saxon family. He's not part of this Ivar the Boneless Irish Viking family. He is the son of the first king of Norway. And he's supposedly not very popular in Norway. So he's kicked out with his uh, magical sorceress wife, Queen Gunhild. Right. And the people of Northumbria selects Eric as their king in the year 948. The king of the south of England, Edred, then ravages Northumbria and threatens to destroy it. The Northumbrians then kick Eric out and pay reparations to the English king. But then we have another one of these Hiberno Norse Ivar the Boneless descendants coming over, Olaf Citrixen, who had previously been king a few years earlier. So the chronology has now been so messy. It's messy. It's back and forth, back and forth. I mean, this is all within the span of, like, it looks like 10 years. Like, yes. Messy. So he's invited back from Ireland. He does okay for a few years. He fights off a Scottish invasion. He's then deposed again. And then Eric Bloodaxe is invited back again. Oh my again. goodness. Um, but Olaf Citrixen does fairly well after this. So he had been king of Dublin as well. When was it he started? He he began as king of Jorvik. I've lost track of where I am now. My dates. What was it? 941. 941, yeah. 941, he starts as king of Jorvik. He finishes his reign as king of Dublin in 980. Wow, was that? Which is very long for this time period. Yeah. Well, especially and... considering like all of that, he was king here for like like six years. And also, he's not defeated in battle. He abdicates and retires to a monastery as oh, well. Oh, good for him. So, yeah, he's probably the most successful, I guess, out of all of these guys. Uh, back to Eric Bloodaxe, though. He's been invited back to Jorvik. He rules for a couple of years. Then he's expelled again. These oh Northumbrian nobles cannot make their mind up who they want to be king. He is expelled from the city in favour of the king of the south of England, King Edred. And uh, Eric dies at the, at the Battle of Stainmore, uh, betrayed by a guy called uh, Marcus Olafsson, who is possibly the son of Olaf Guthrifsson, the guy with the raven coin. <laughs> and then it's calm. 
Okay. Your book is part of England. If you look at a list of kings of England, it's just the same from Fair. that point onwards now. Okay. Your book is permanently part of that, that kingdom. And when you come see our ride at Jorvik, it's that period that we're now showing you. Um, so Eric Bloodaxe was expelled in the year 954. The ride shows you the year 960. So okay. it's been part of England for six years now. Things have uh, calmed a little bit. Yes. Yeah. It's so calm. The King of England in 960 is Edgar the Peaceful. Oh. So that's a better name than Shoe, isn't it? <laughs> um, I've got some honourable mentions, though, after okay. this. Uh, whilst England is one country, there are Vikings who become kings of all England, which includes York, of course. Yeah. We've got Swain Forkbeard. Ooh, we mentioned him in the last episode. We did, yeah. He invades in the 11th century, so there's quite a big gap here. Uh, 10.13, I think he arrives, okay. supposedly in response to the St. Bryce's Day Massacre. Right. Where um, a bit of genocide happened, basically. Uh, yeah. Supposedly a lot of people of Danish descent were massacred. Also, England had been a bit lack in paying Danegeld, a sort of mafia protection ring the Vikings had over England. <laughs> he reigns for 41 days as King of England, which is the shortest reign of any King of England. Not the shortest of any monarch, though. No, he lasted about four times longer than Queen Jane Grey yeah. uh, from the Tudor period, who was nine days. So, uh, yeah, Jane Grey, shortest reigning queen. Swain Forkbeard, shortest reigning king of all England. His son is Canutes, and we did a whole episode on Canutes last year. Definitely worth listening to. He rules for a lot longer. Um, we then have his sons, Harold Harefoot and Harthur Canutes. So they are Canutes' sons by two different women. Yep. Uh, do you remember their names? Yes, I do. Elfgifu and Emma, also known as Elfgifu. Yes. Very, very <laughs> tricky. Uh, both of them, they're kings of all England, including York, of course. Very short reigns. Both die very young. We get very contradictory, very fragmentary accounts of what they're like. But, you know, they're, they're not too amazing, either of them. And they die childless. So this ends kind of Danish domination of England. We get Edward the Confessor comes back after that. Yep. Then at the very end of the Viking Age, we have got Harold Hardrada. Yes. And there was an episode about him, there I believe. definitely was. And actually within that story that we adapted from his saga... Uh, he came here to England in 1066. Mm-hmm. He fought a battle, uh, about a 15-minute walk up the road from us. Yeah, exactly. Right now. Just Fulford. Just, uh, just that away. Uh, he won the Battle of Fulford. The people of York surrendered to him, opening the gates. And then he just, like, dies immediately afterwards at yep. the Battle of Stamford, Stamford Bridge, Bridge, just up the road. Again, yep, just around the corner. And even though that's 1066, he's not quite the last Viking king to seize control of the city. This is one of my favourite things that, you, that you've ever told me, I think. Go on. So we talk about the Viking Age ending in 1066, but in 1069, Swain II, who was king of Denmark, now the family tree is, is a little bit kind of confusing here, but he's related to both Canute and also Swain Forkbeard, Swain I. Right. Um, he's the grandson of Swain, and possibly uh, his wife stuck with the haughty. Oh, right, last okay. Week. Possibly. Uh, she was a bit confusing as well, wasn't she? She was, these, yeah. These royals are just so messy, aren't <laughs> they? And uh, he attacked and captured Jorvik in the year 1069, captured it from the rule of the Norman king William the Conqueror, and William paid him money to go away. <laughs> and he said, yeah, cool, okay, thanks. Bye. And he left. And he left the people of Jorvik... 
to retribution by the Normans, and the Normans are not known for being too friendly no, <laughs> in that situation. Uh, a lot of the city got burnt down, I believe, as it a result. Did, but yeah. Swain had a you know a pocket full of coins. Big and was old very happy. boat full of gold. Yeah. And that's the last time, really, that we have a Viking king in the city. Uh, we have lots of uh, French-speaking people from that point <laughs> onwards. And that is the convoluted mess of the royalty of Viking Jorvik. Thankfully, things are a little bit easier to understand now. We've got father to son, father to son, maybe to brother, maybe to daughter. A daughter occasionally. sometimes, yep. People rule for decades now as well. And we have full biographies of their lives, so... Yes, to be a modern historian rather than a medieval historian must be a treat. <laughs> if you are interested in seeing the names of some of these kings, it's definitely worth going to the Jorvik Viking Center, uh, first of all, where you can see that coin that you mentioned with the the rediscovered king on yep. it, um, but also to get your own coin uh, from our from our coin-striking Vikings. And that rhymed, didn't mean to do that, uh, for just £2, so make sure to go to Jorvik if you want to get one of those. If you liked this episode and want to learn more about the Vikings, then come visit Jorvik Viking Centre, where you can enjoy the sights, sounds and smells of the Viking Age. You can book your tickets at jorvikvikingcentre.co.uk. Don't forget to rate and review that Jorvik Viking Thing podcast on your podcast app. And if you enjoyed the show, share us with a friend. It's the best way to help support your favourite history podcast. To contact us for more information or ideas for future episodes, you can email us on podcast at yorkat.co.uk. Thanks for listening to that Jorvik Viking Thing podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all other major podcast platforms. That Jorvik Viking Thing podcast is a production of the Jorvik Group and York Archaeology, hosted by Miranda Schmiederer and Lucas Norton. Researched by Lucas Norton, produced by Miranda Schmiederer, Lucas Norton and Gareth Henry. Sound designed and edited by Miranda Schmiederer.